Hey, this is the world beat of Damien Slater. The following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Hi, everybody. This is former WWE superstar Al Snow. And My name is Eugene. And you are watching the Insider's Edge podcast. Now get on the train. What's going on, guys? Back with another episode. Alongside here with my host tonight, as usual, Carl in Fury. Carl, how are you doing today? Uh, correction, that's California in Fury. Jack, remember that. Don't you ever forget oh. it. That's my stage name, and I don't like the name Carl on its own because Carl when I was sick. a child, my mum would call my name from the other side of the house, and it sounded like a crow. Carl! Carl! So I, I don't like it. Please refer to me as California from now on, but I'm doing good, my friend. Today, we've got a very exciting guest, and uh, as usual, we always love interviewing our uh, our friends here in Australia. Uh, often we are usually just interviewing our friends in America, so we are required to stay up very late. But today we're doing it in the afternoon, and it's yeah. amazing to do. Uh, so today we've got uh, quite an amazing wrestler, uh, someone I've seen live multiple times. You know, he's uh, wrestled in the Cruiserweight Classic, among other massive events and that we will be talking about today. And we've got um, representing Explosive Pro Wrestling as one half Untouchables. We've got Damien Slater. Damien, how are we doing? I hope that introduction was good for you, Carl. Fantastic, man. <laughs> that, that, was, that was a decent introduction. You know, yeah, I, I think get guy. rid of Carl, get just <laughs> all together, just get rid of him. We, we can do this with just two of us, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I agree, man. And, um, yeah, so how, how are you doing on this uh, warm Sunday? It's a lovely Sunday. It's a beautiful day, actually. Um, oh, that's great. Yeah, fan, fantastic weekend. Um, several coffees deep, so I'm, I'm keen to do this, man. <laughs> awesome man no it's great um yeah carl over to you to start the first round of questions all right damien slater my boy um i am excited to talk to you here today and the usual question that we always open the show with is how you became a wrestling fan as a young oh uh so i started following it would have been the wwf to, to begin with um following episodes of Raw on, I guess it was like midnight on channel nine or 10, something crazy. You know, we were pretty underprivileged as Australians and had to watch these six month delayed snippets of, of pro wrestling. And I remember just being at a mate's house and, and at the time I was, I was pretty skeptical about wrestling. You know, I, I'd, I'd heard it was fake and it was all like, you know, just a load of crap. And me myself was always into a lot of combat sports and into a lot of real sports and stuff like that. And, uh, at the time, I was also into a lot of slasher movies and horror films, which is pretty nuts for an 11-year-old. But um, yeah, at a mate's place, and he chucked it on the TV. And the first thing I saw was Undertaker slicing up Midian's chest with a dagger. So <laughs> that being the first thing I ever saw of pro wrestling, I was instantly hooked. Um, which is probably interesting, considering that I'm, I've always kind of been known more for my technical abilities my in-ring um but yeah the thing that really got me into wrestling was, was the performance aspect of things in the beginning so seeing undertaker kane that feud that was my number one back then 98 99 that was like that was everything to me and then uh, i loved seeing the rock and stone cold start to start to get together and, and have their feud around mania i guess it would be mania 15 uh and then from there as i kind of delve more into it got more obsessed i started to look more at the actual wrestlers wrestlers and uh got into all the cruiserweights and 
and technical wrestlers and, and guys like that. Right, cool. Yeah, no, it's it's always a similar thing with all the guys that I've spoken to from APW is uh, watching it very late at night or, you know, even on, on a massive delay as well uh, on Channel 9 or Channel 10. Uh, for me, it was like Fox Sports and all that, but it was still delayed and that would frustrate me quite a lot. But um, there was always a charm of being a wrestling fan in the 90s, uh, tape trading, going to the news agency, getting the magazines, uh, going to the video store, finally seeing the pay-per-view that took place several months prior, um, and also the old shitty video games that we all grew up and loved. Were you part of all that? Did you do all that kind of stuff too? Yeah, man, absolutely. Like, you know, like you're saying back then, there was internet, but it was so it was so elementary. Like, you'd, you'd go to like a rajawwf.com. I don't know if you remember that, that website. <laughs> yeah. But like, that was the best of the dirt sheets that we had and at the most, you got like a little text article of some results and, and that was, you might get a few, a few rumors and, and behind the scenes things here and there, but yeah, you kind of had to just absorb whatever you could get. So uh, yeah, the video store was massive and, and I was fortunate enough to have like a real, like a real small family owned video store nearby. And it was, uh, they didn't have anything modern. All they had was like early 90s. Um, they had NWA stuff. They had like old ECW stuff before it was even extreme championship wrestling. Right. Um, yeah. Heaps of the early UFCs, and it was and for us like that's all we had. Um, so that was like a little bit of an education into the the past Coliseum video, like all the old old stuff. Um, <laughs> but yeah, once I got actually into training for wrestling, which is like 2002 uh, Octoberish, and I was only just turned 15 at the time. Um, that's when I kind of started to get exposed to independent wrestling, tape traders. And there was, there was always VHS tapes circulating through the training school. You'd kind of like dub it for yourself, send it yeah. to the next rookie. And, you know, <laughs> by the time I got it, you can barely tell who's on the screen. But yeah, that, 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 was, that was how we educated ourselves. There was, there was really no other option, but um, it, it really made you appreciate it. Like anytime a, a new Ring of Honor tape um, or eventually it became DVD, but anytime a new Ring of Honor tape would come out, that was like gold. Like that was absolute gold <laughs> to, to get one of those. So um, yeah, no, it was, it was a good time. I, I definitely don't regret coming up in that era. Uh, obviously now it's a lot easier to get as much wrestling as you want, but um, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun early on. Yeah, man. I mean, I remember like back then, I didn't even know that there were independent wrestling companies. I just thought it was WWF, WCW and ECW and, there was once a place called NWA. So yeah. to find that out and find out there's all this other amazing wrestling going on around the world. Um, you know, I think uh, the Don talked about that quite a lot in his interview, but um, I, I want to also ask about what wrestling was like when you were at school. Was wrestling cool in school at that stage? It was cool for a year in 1999. So in year seven, I, I was the uncool kid who didn't like wrestling. <laughs> Everyone else was like just obsessed. And I would always hear about it and be like, just such crap like why would you watch this stuff and then obviously i i kind of caught along on the bandwagon and uh as soon as we went to high school in year eight like i remember going to high school and being like yeah wrestling i remember how cool this is i was like we love wrestling and then i was like the biggest loser in the school like within like a month all my friends just ditched me and all these people that got me into wrestling suddenly it was the lamest thing in the world so uh, definitely not a cool thing in high school. I barely spoke about it after I actually started training. 
Um, I, to be honest, I wouldn't even know if many people knew that I was wrestling in high school, um, just because it was something you kind of kept to yourself. Uh, but it did allow me to make a lot of friends outside of school who were wrestling fans and wrestling trainees from other schools. So I kind of had this like whole other circle where I was kind of like one of the cool kids and one of them. And then I'd go back to school and be an absolute loser. But, you know, <laughs> if, you, if you love it that much, then it obviously means something to you. So I, I still, I still cling, clang, 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 clung, clung, clung on. I still clung on to the wrestling industry despite social pressures not to. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I know me and Jack have our own experiences with wrestling. Just being picked on or called gay because you like watching men fight one another or pretend to fight Friend. one another. Just the lamest shit you can possibly think of. But, um, you know, we, we got through those hard times and we still realize that wrestling is cool to this day. Um, how did you first go about doing wrestling training? Like, I mean, around that time, there probably weren't too many wrestling companies uh, going around at that point no no that there, there was uh i guess when i started 2002 i was in adelaide uh where i grew up we had one one promotion and uh i mean perth epw had only just started up so yeah. when i was kind of like first following the local scene there was nothing in perth epw was a backyard promotion and i still yeah. used to get all their vhs tapes because just wanted to watch everything i could that was australian based um, so yeah, we had one promotion that was run by Cole Devani, who uh, has since passed away. He was an old timer from the 70s and 80s, and he started up his own training school called the Monster Factory. And I guess it was only three years in. Uh, by the time I started, I had a um, one of the wrestlers there was coached in rugby by my dad. So my dad kind of clued me in on this place uh, in Elizabeth, South Australia, which is not <coughs> not not the most upper class of like it's a, it's a it's a rough area of town and quite a long way from where i was living and i knew from when i started going to shows at about 12 that that's what i eventually wanted to do but wasn't allowed to because what kind of responsible parent would let their kid get driven an hour to the crime capital of south australia um <laughs> so i eventually ended up there when i was about 15 uh for the first couple of years I actually I was backyard wrestling as everyone did back then <laughs> uh, and you, you kept it to yourself like you, you didn't tell anyone um, you always had an alias online you never let anyone know that, that was actually you because <laughs> you would just kind of go and talk shit online all day and that's what you did as a backyard wrestler there were a lot of rivalries in the scene uh, yeah. but through some kind of backyard forum someone had posted that <coughs> there was another professional promotion opening up and they were running trainings in the city and all, all these, the training and background they had. So I uh, asked my parents at age 13 if I could go there because they were really close to where I was living. And they said, yes. So I would catch a, a train or bus into town and I would start training with these guys uh, who I eventually found out had no training whatsoever. But we were basically backyard wrestling in a kickboxing ring. Um, right. <laughs> well, a lot of fun at the time, but... Um, I realized after a while that this is not quite professional wrestling. Uh, and, and those guys actually became Riot City Wrestling. So that's a fun little tidbit. Um, <laughs> I love awesome. Those guys are awesome. I still love them. Um, we had a lot of fun back then. But 
Uh, I always knew that I had to end up at this monster factory. Like that was the elite of South Australia. So yeah, turned uh, turned 15, I was allowed to go. And I that was the first thing I did after, yeah, after my birthday was organize a way to get to training and just didn't look back since. Oh yeah. And 15 years <laughs> old getting in there and that's pretty hectic. For so young. Age. Yeah, <laughs> um... it, it doesn't happen anymore. I mean, at EPW, our, our minimum age is 16. Most places interstate and overseas, you're looking at 18. So yeah. it's a pretty rare thing, uh, which I, I agree with. 15 was too young, but it is what it is. No regrets. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Juventud Guerrero started training when he was like 13 or something like that. <laughs> oh, the, the luchas are young, man. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, like, when I was overseas in the States, um, we had a very lucha kind of heavy influence, a lot of lucha training. And uh, like they were 12 year olds. I think there was oh, even wow. a nine year old training with us. Really? Um, what the fuck? That would have been awesome. <clears throat> yeah, maybe for him. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For us, we, we didn't want to hurt the little kids. Um, it would have been an amazing <laughs> experience. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, they were pretty clever though. Like they wouldn't make, they wouldn't make the kids bump. Um, they would learn just fundamental roles and, some break falls and movement. So they were pretty smart with the way they did it, um, especially compared to 15-year-old me getting beaten up every week by grown men. <laughs> Very different experience. So speaking, you, Jack? Of, yeah, so speaking of uh, wrestling at such a young age, our research told, uh, tells us that you debut on May 14th, 2003. So you were 16 years old. Um, where did you wrestle? Who was it against? And there was a, is there a story to that day? Uh, still 15 at the time. Um, I, yeah, uh, I had started training with a couple of guys who were around my age, if not a bit younger. Uh, one was one was named Will Power. That was his wrestling name. Go figure. Brilliant. Uh, but Will was fourteen, I think. If that, he was younger than me. Uh, and another guy, Daryl Wild, who they both kind of dropped off pretty quickly. They they didn't stick around for too long. But those two came up training with me, and we. As you do with it, with a new class of trainees, sometimes you kind of just gravitate towards certain people because they share yeah. your values and you both kind of watch the same stuff and you're all massive fans. Uh, so we kind of stuck together and trained a lot together. Um, we were the only rookies who, who stuck it out more than a month at a time. And uh, after probably about eight months of training, we were doing pretty well. We were We were super consistent with our training and, we worked really well together and our trainer convinced the owner of the promotion who was linked to us uh, to put us in like a little exhibition. So they put us in a three-way match. Uh, it was a three-fall three-way match so that we could all get one win each. <laughs> and, uh, and my trainer, Cole Devani, was, was the referee. So that was his first big... He hadn't wrestled since the 80s, I think, late 80s. Um, wow. so that was his first kind of return to the ring uh, in any like big sense was to referee our match. So we had this super choreographed match. We practiced for three months and uh, ended up being pretty good. Unfortunately, <laughs> the next several years of matches were no good at all. Because uh, once we kind of progressed beyond that, we started wrestling more experienced people who didn't want to plan for three months. So um, yeah. it all kind of went downhill from there. But the, the debut was awesome. It was at a venue in Port Adelaide, which is where I lived. It was five minutes from my house. Uh, there were probably three to 400 people there, which is, is kind of unheard of with a lot of debuts these days. But um, yeah. the, the scene was real hot. That was just post-Attitude Era. 
if you'd called 2003, probably just beyond that. Yeah. So you could put a few flyers out, run a local show, and you would get four to 500 people without fail. It was, wow. it was super, super big for wrestling and, and even independent wrestling um, back then. So, yeah, really, really cool way to start. I don't remember anything of the actual match or night due to nerves. Uh, absolutely shitting myself. But, um, yeah, from, from what I was told, it was a good debut. <laughs> <laughs> especially the debut and so many so many people as well uh four to five hundred i mean on a larger scale it doesn't sound like much but for someone having their very first match that's that's a lot of people mm, yeah my uh my third match was at seven and theater which is in adelaide one of our biggest stadiums it's where they used to do a lot of big time um world championship wrestling in the 80s so yep. like andre the giant wrestled there and wow um, yeah, all year kind of like legends from the 80s and 70s. Uh, and that was my third match in front of 1,200 people. So that was a sold-out building. Cheers. <laughs> that would... Uh... That was glory days for sure. <clears throat> oh, man. Sounds fucking awesome. Uh, so when, when did you first start to build a relationship with APW? Uh, so well, on the show that I was just talking about, the 1,200-person um, the attended show, that was um, NWA Australia. Yeah. And they only ended up running three shows with the, the promoter that they had. And it was kind of like a, a super show. So he would get together all the best wrestlers from around Australia, two to three from each state, a bunch yeah. of uh, Adelaideans. And uh, David Storm, Mikey Nichols, those two, were, I think they came over for all three of them, <laughs> I believe. So that's where I first met Dave. Uh, and I would, he would come and train and a few of the Perth guys would come and train because the Monster Factory is where they initially got their training. Um, yep. If you're not sure of the history, they they all came down for a month, trained every day full time. There was about six of them, I believe. Uh, and they trained in Adelaide with Cole Devani and took that training back to Perth. So they would come over maybe like once a year. They would come over for a week or whatever and, and train with us. So I met them through training. And uh, I think it was on maybe the third, it would have been the last NWA show. I was 17 and just about to finish high school and I knew I didn't want to I didn't think I was going to make anything out of wrestling but I knew I just didn't want to go to uni straight away or anything like that I wanted to take a year off and just explore things so I spoke to him about coming over he said I could travel over stay for two weeks in Perth uh, so I did in January of 2005 um, stayed for two weeks trained every night and that's where I really fell in love with EPW and the wrestling scene in Perth because as amazing as Adelaide was and the Monster Factory training with Cole, best experience you could ever ask for. One of the absolute elite trainers of that generation um, made, made so many people who then made other people based on his uh, principles. So like your Hartley Jackson's, your Havocs, kind of created those guys in the right way so that they then went on and trained your Jonah Rocks, your Brendan Vinks, all of those guys in the right way. And the rest of Rampage Dojo is still to this day um, definitely one of the best places in the world to, to get an education. That was awesome. But I found that a lot of the people I was training with didn't have the same passion as me. Like no one was watching any of the independent or Japanese stuff. Um, no one wanted to push themselves. Um, I, I, I remember always copying a lot of shit at training because I wanted to try stuff I'd seen on the independents and, and everyone was wrestling the same way, doing the same moves, the same 80s style wrestling, which is fine, but there was nothing unique about anyone on the roster except for 
Hartley Jackson and a couple of others, those kind of guys who, who did actually branch out and go elsewhere. Um, so the first, I remember the first day I got to EPW, I went to the EPW Dynamite Factory. Um, I don't even think it was in Maddington yet. have no idea where it was at the time, somewhere down south in Perth. And uh, the first day I went in there, it was Shane Hayes, Bobby Marshall, Chris Spice, AZ Vergara, and guys who were like my age, maybe a year older, who loved the same wrestling I did, who wanted to push themselves. And that first training, instantly I knew that's where I had to be. Um, I uh, ended up wrestling on a show, Survival of the Fittest, which was where you had the, the Jag versus David Storm Ironman match. Uh, I was there. Um, ama- yeah, amazing, amazing yeah. match, amazing show. I wrestled <laughs> Shane, um, Shane Hayes at that show. And I got, yeah, I got back from that trip and I instantly applied to go to uni in Perth. And I got into uni in Perth. Um, I straight away said, I can't be in Adelaide any longer. I have to wow. move here. Uh, around the same time, I started to build a bit of a connection with the Anoki Dojo, that's who were linked to New Japan in LA. And he pretty much said that he wanted to start his own company, which through various name changes, started as EPW Adelaide, became Wrestle Rampage. Uh, wanted to start his own company, his own dojo, and he wanted my help to do it. And I was only, yeah, like 17, 18 at the time. But I, I saw that as an opportunity to kind of, I, I always respected uh, Harley Jackson, Jag, and uh I thought EPW is always going to be there. Um, I'm pretty young. I'll stay home. I'll kind of see how this goes. And then uh, we'll see where we take it from there. So that's, that was kind of my like early stories of getting involved with EPW. Um, yeah. I was super fortunate after that first trip to, I don't know what I did right. Cause I don't, I was not a good wrestler back then, but I must've impressed someone because from then on, they were flying me out multiple times a year. And that's, even to this day, that's unheard of. Like people, people do get flown around a bit, but not many in Australia. Most people are paying their own way, trying to get experience and get it, getting to a like a main event level where they do start getting paid and flown and all the rest. Um, but yeah, for a for an eighteen year old kid with only a couple of years experience to get flown to Perth every few months was yeah, look in hindsight ridiculous, uh, but super grateful because that I don't know where I would be without from that experience from from epw so yeah oh, amazing so oh, I, I just think it's like uh really uh quite an amazing part of the story that you had this crossroads where you already made the decision to do this one thing and then then there's this opportunity which is now completely removing that that's just a mm. big decision for you to make it at, at a at an age like that yeah yeah and, and it happened again multiple times uh <laughs> i can't tell you how many times i booked a flight to perth to move over and it ended up getting cancelled because a massive opportunity came up. Right. Uh, until eventually three years ago when a woman got in the way and I did move to Perth. So there you go. <laughs> in a good way, um, I'm married to her. So. No, it's fantastic. <laughs> That's great. You know, who knows? Maybe uh, maybe someone in EPW booked that to, uh, to make sure that you finally moved over. <laughs> She'll deny it forever, but yeah. <laughs> So in 2007, uh, you spent several months in the U.S., uh, mainly wrestling in California, Nevada, and Arizona. Uh, how that opportunity come about? And surely you've got a few stories you can share with us about it. Yeah, uh, through the same links through Hartley Jackson. Um, a lot yep. of my a lot of my career until I moved here, 
I was kind of in his shadow. So he, he would often get me booked in a lot of the same places and build connections for me. Uh, he had trained with Mikey Nichols and David Storm at the Inoki Dojo in LA for a few months. And I wanted to follow suit. So I actually booked a trip over there uh, to train at the Inoki Dojo. And that was, they had a link to New Japan at the time. So they had their own kind of little promotion and little training school. Uh, that was run by, I think, I believe Kendo Kashin, who's uh, one of the old New Japan wrestlers. Um, Rocky Romero was training there at the time. Fergal Devitt, now Finn Balor, uh, Carl Anderson, Samoa Joe, TJ Perkins. Those guys all kind of came from that SoCal scene and they were all training there in that Japanese style. So yeah, I wanted wow. to follow suit and uh, book my way over. And then three days before I got there, uh, I got a message saying that they'd actually closed the dojo down. Oh, oh shit. <laughs> Sucks. <laughs> as, is, as is often the case. So I, I got there and they said, hey, you know, we're, we're moving into like the Inoki dojo is closed. The link with Inoki is done. Um, New Japan is done. But we're going to, there's a, a school in, in San Bernardino, in, which is like two or three hours out of L.A., and we're going to kind of move in there and train with those guys. But there, at the time, there was no, like, without that school, there was no guarantees. I didn't know where I was going to end up. Didn't know if I was going to get booked anywhere. So I, I went there and um, the tiny little sweat box school, Jesse Hernandez was the trainer who is a pretty well-known name, especially in SoCal. He, he wrestled with AWA um, in the 80s. He refereed for the WWF uh, many times. So a well-known name trained a lot of the elite talent out of that SoCal scene. But the, the best part about it was that a lot of those Enoki Dojo orphans who had kind of been kicked out. So in particular, TJ Perkins, Carl Anderson, Rocky Romero, those three, they would train separate to the, the usual crew and I would train with them. So I would go in every morning, train with those three and just have this, you know, almost private session for three hours and then I'll come back at night and train with the core group who are already training there. And I mean, I got great booking uh, with NWA in, in that area and um, yeah, big bookings, great talent, all the rest. But the biggest thing was the training and to be able to train every single day, practically with, with the, the caliber of talent that I just named who, I mean, at the time, Outside of Ring of Honor, none of them were really doing anything major. They'd, they'd done a few New Japan shots here and there, a few Noah shots here and there, but they weren't signed to full-time contracts. But, I mean, you see kind of where they've gone from there. The, the experience was unbelievable, particularly for, for a kid from Adelaide who had only trained with one, one coach, didn't really have a whole lot of experience. Uh, so I, I definitely credit that to kind of getting me, getting me right up a whole bunch of levels and getting me ready for a lot of the the experiences I was about to receive a few years down the line. So yeah, that was kind of my, my American experiences were just living in the slums and training twice a day with some absolute killers. So yeah, great time. I, I was looking through some of the results of the matches that you uh, had over there. And just to go off when you said that you wrestled a guy called Will Power, I really got a, a bit of a chuckle out of you wrestling a guy called Alcatraz. I thought that was Alcatraz. <laughs> Alcatraz was a was a bit of a legend in the in the yeah. LA scene. Yeah, is he, he, I think he would. Is he by any chance from? Was he the was he uh, the same Alcatraz in Wrestling Society X? Yeah, 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. shit. Oh, yeah. Right. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Fuck. yeah, so I wrestled him in, in Phoenix, I think. Uh, that So at the time, NWA was running, they were kind of linked to a lot of independent, smaller independent promotions. And, you know, some of them we would wrestle in a car park where there were more wrestlers than fans. Um, but <laughs> other times they would do these uh, mixed lucha shows in uh, Vegas, in Phoenix, in all these little, San Diego, all these little places. And they would book a lot of local talent and, and people like Bobby Marshall and myself and uh, Azazel, we, we, we all went up together. We would get booked on these little shows in just undercard matches, but then it would always be headlined by like Hio Del Santo and uh, Psychosis and Ray, Ray Mysterio Sr. and all these like legends wow. of Lucha. So they would bring in thousands of people. So we'd be yeah. wrestling in front of thousands. We had no idea who we were. Um, but all these, yeah, all these Mexican Lucha fans. Um, and yeah, the Alcatraz match was, was one of those, um, which was, yeah, but super surreal. I, was, I think I just turned 19 at the time. So I was still really young and oh, immature and all the rest. Um, but yeah, that was, uh, that was crazy. That was nuts. Is it also true that you competed in a World War Three Battle Royal? Yeah, that was the, uh, the car park match I was talking about. There's three rings. Um, really? I think it was like a 60-person battle royal with three rings. That's ridiculous. There's no way there were 60 fans there. Like, no way. <laughs> Maybe 15 if I'm generous. That is, that is ridiculous. <laughs> Not many people can say that they did a, a three, three-ring battle royal. That's uh, it's a rarity, that one. Yeah. I don't even think that would have been on your bucket list, but you got it ticked off. So. No, yeah, tick it off. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. I don't even know how they found sixty wrestlers, to be honest. <laughs> Let alone three rings and uh, <laughs> can only pull in fifteen fans to a show. But that's yeah, wrestling yeah. for you. That's it, man. That's a uh, good story. Yeah, Carl, back to you. Righto. Um, so skipping a little bit ahead i i saw that you you worked with crackerjack in melbourne for warzone wrestling um i just wanted to just hear your thoughts on on working with him and and what that was like because I've, I've heard many stories like good stories or bad stories oh good good stories <laughs> oh that's good crackers is, is cooked man he's he's insane he's a nut job um <laughs> one of my one of my favorite people in wrestling crackerjack's amazing um he's uh you you may watch him and see him as this deathmatch wrestler or this hardcore wrestler, but um, yeah, one of the most intelligent people I've, I've encountered in pro wrestling. Um, just always always had a, especially back then when when it wasn't as I don't know, wasn't really trained as much. But his his ability to promo, his ability to engage with the audience, uh, his his character, his. Uh, story development like that that's stuff that we didn't really focus on much back then it was kind of all just fundamentals and technical ability and all the rest but he was always uh, far and ahead um ahead of the game so yeah crackers was, was was really good and just a massive contrast in styles going for yeah someone someone like him who who you know has the staple gun and and kicks you in the balls a bunch of times and that's kind of like that was like his go-to stuff. And for me, it was all like technical submission, chain wrestling and stuff. That was a, that was a pretty cool contrast of styles. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do definitely regret not wrestling Crackerjack more. That was, I think that was really our only interactions were in Warzone. Um, I guess that was around 2010. So we had, we had a little bit of a rivalry there when, when the company first opened up. And uh, 
I never really got to work with him much since. And unfortunately, I think injuries have kind of taken their toll on on crackers. But he, he still plays a massive part in the MCW Academy. He runs their promo nights and does a lot of that kind of training and coaching behind the scenes. So he's a, he's a very valuable tool for Australian wrestling still. That's yeah, cool, man. Um, I want to know next, uh, you know, go, going back to talking about Jag Hartley Jackson, I, I want to ask you about how much of an influence he's been to you over the years and what you've learned the most from him. Yeah, he, he's, like I said, I kind of trailed his career very closely. He, um, he, he, he must have been a massive influence because, it, like I said, the amount of times when I turned down other opportunities because I trusted in what he, his vision was and, and I felt loyal to what he was doing. And I'm, you know, I'm someone who, who, who does feel loyal to, to certain places and people and all the rest, but I'm never going to blindly follow someone um, just because they say so. So he obviously he had a big part in my training um, particularly early on, but the, the difference between what Hartley Jackson was going for in those late, like 2005 to, to, or to today, to this kind of era, the difference between what he was going for and everyone, everyone else was, was he was always so big on professionalism and he, and, and this comes from Coldavani because Coldavani was the same, always massive on discipline. Like everyone has to train a certain number of days. I mean, you should want to train as much as you can, but um, with him, you know, you, you had to train to get booked. Uh, you had to work hard in the gym. Everyone trained together. Everyone trained together, not just in training, everyone trained together in the gym. If we would have a tryout, everyone on the roster had to be there to join in on the tryout. And our tryouts at, at Wrestle Rampage were messed up. They were, they were brutal. Like two days, if it was 40 degrees, so be it. Two days, six hours a day of just crazy stuff like bear crawls out in the sun for hours and lifts carrying people, fireman's carries around an oval and just <sighs> crazy stuff. But it was that, it's that attitude that I still believe in. And, you know, I, I don't fully believe in completely destroying people at an open day, at, an, at a tryout anymore. <laughs> but I do miss that, that kind of discipline and respect for pro wrestling. And if you look at the people that came out of our dojo, um, such a huge list of talent who then went on to wrestle in Japan, who, who went on to get tryouts with all the major organizations, who went to get contracts with major organizations. And we never had a lot of people, obviously not many people passed the tryout. Um, we'd get 20 in for an open day and we'd end up with two by the second day. And maybe one of them would end up coming back to training. The others just decided wrestling was never going to be something they ever wanted to do again. And rightfully so. But we had such a small number of people, but such a high percentage of people who went on to do good, good stuff. And that's, that's because of that, that passion and that respect that Hartley Jackson instilled in all of us. So he, he took that Japanese work ethic and he brought it back to us. And other schools have, EPW was always very similar in the same kind of attitude, same kind of vein. Um, other schools have become highly professional outfits. Uh, you know, your MCW Academy, your PWA training school in Sydney, all very same, but for its time, there was, there was nothing quite like what we had in Adelaide and that's because of Harley Jackson. So uh, I don't know whether 
I don't know whether I just had very similar values and we kind of connected or whether he instilled those values in me, but I was training under him from, from the age of 16. So uh, obviously a lot of what he believed in kind of rubbed off on me throughout my younger years, for sure. Right. Well, I mean, I, I agree with that kind of, of, of way of training people, you know, weeding out the weak and uh, the strong survive. I think that's the best, you know, um, there's a lot of people out there in the world that uh, train wrestlers, train people to be wrestlers that have no business doing that. And, you know, I think there should be some sort of certification necessary uh, in order to do that. Otherwise, you know, we have what we have today where there's a lot of, you know, outlaw federations across the United States that just mm -hmm. put on trash wrestling shows. And uh, so I really think, you know, that style of, of training is, is very important. So I appreciate that story. Um, there's, de there's definitely a couple of, a couple of arguments. Like I, I've seen arguments on the other side and, and I kind of sit somewhere in the middle as I often do. Um, but I, I think there's definitely something to say for, for hard, hard training great work ethic, um, great discipline, especially in pro wrestling, because we, we are unlike anything else, any other industry, any other sport. Um, and I feel like when you let those values slip, you start to encounter a lot of problems, um, not just in your wrestling, but socially and all sorts. So yeah, I'm a, man, I'm a stickler for, for tough training. Good, good. Um, I wanted to move forward to 2012 where you wrestled for Zero One in Japan, uh, including working with Masato fucking Tanaka. Um, what was the experience like? And tell us about your time in Japan. Yeah, that was... Uh, Japan was the... I could probably say that was the biggest turning point for me in my wrestling. And it, it's, it's not as though... I learned a whole bunch of new stuff and added that to my game. It was the mental, the mental game and the, um, the, the, the understanding of pro wrestling. That, that's what I got most out of zero one. Um, obviously being able to train in the dojo every day for hours and hours and hours, that's always going to make you a better athlete. And uh, I recommend it to anyone who's, who's been in wrestling for a while and wants to elevate their game, go and train. Over, obviously you can't train overseas now, but eventually go and train overseas somewhere where you can put full-time time into it, full-time effort. Um, but it was learning how to wrestle, not just the Japanese style, but learning how to wrestle against international wrestlers with a massive language barrier. And, and it taught you to, you have to be good at your game. You have to be confident with your game, but also kind of learning how to adapt regardless of what, situation is put in front of you and you don't have time or, or anything you don't you kind of just here you go you're wrestling Masato Tanaka 15 minutes and we want an absolute war between you two and you've never you've never wrestled the guy you've never trained with the guy you all you've seen is the roaring elbow and uh, the sliding D and that's that's kind of like all right um, here we go let's do it and uh the Japanese wrestlers are, they are so, obviously we know Japanese wrestling is fantastic. There's a lot of amazing promotions, amazing wrestlers, but um, they are all so good at everything. They're, they're fantastic at grappling, um, whether they do it or not on live shows. They, they can all hang on the mat. They can 
chain wrestle, they can strike, they can uh, must do martial arts, jiu-jitsu, Muay Thai, what, like they, they do it all and that's part of their training. And that's what we did every day. Every day was dedicated to, there was always an area, like an hour for grappling, there was an hour for kickboxing, uh, there was an hour for just brutal cardio to get us into the best shape of our lives. There was an hour for pro wrestling and that those kind of values and, and, and that kind of range of information and education is something that, that, I mean, that's why Japanese wrestling is what it is. And uh, yeah, it wasn't just, Masada Tanaka was incredible. One of the favorite matches of my life, but uh, Akuto Hidaka was my trainer over there, my mentor. And he's, I always say he's the most underrated junior heavyweight in the world. Um, Otani was, was a member of the zero one roster back then and was helping run training. There was, just incredible talent and we were just we were amongst it all like if they would go and wrestle for other promotions we would be their their second like their young boy and we would go and follow them here and follow them there and we were just immersed in the experience and i found that when i came back to australia i was in the best shape of my life but so confident with pro wrestling and just so confident that no matter what situation i'm put in i can i can handle myself and if I have to, if I have to wrestle, if I have to fly around the ring, if I have to strike, if I have to trade off, whatever I have to do, I can do just fine. And without needing to, to chat and speak and choreograph and all the rest, because we didn't have that with, with the very little language um, that we had between each other. So yeah, amazing experience. All right, cool, man. I've heard stories of, of guys going over there and the Japanese guys like, expecting you to go out and drink with them. Did that ever happen? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah I, I'd, I'd heard about that too, just through people I knew who'd, who'd been in Japan. And uh, I, I, I was, I'm still not a big drinker, but back then, especially, I wasn't a drinker at all. And, and I'd had my teenage years, obviously, like we all did. But um, in my adult years, I, I'd kind of, I, I wanted to focus on, you know, you only put, what you need in your body and you only put protein and it's all (laughs) fuel, like food is fuel and whatever. Um, So I I didn't really drink much and I knew that that was the case, that a big part of the social game in Japan is drinking. So I said to myself, I'm going to drink if I have to. And if I have to, you know, whatever comes from that comes from that. And uh, the the guys I was staying with, there was an English guy, um, uh, Eddie Ryan, who still wrestling around the, the English scene. And there was uh, Jason Lee, who was in the Cruiserweight Classic from Hong Kong. Um, he was with me as well. So we were the three gaijin. And uh, we would often be brought out for these big sponsored dinners, which is where a wrestling fan who has a bit of money will take you out for dinner and pay for everything and all the rest. And uh, a big part of that was, was the drinking and you know, they put a big stein of beer on your table. And as soon as you had a sip, it got filled up again. And it was like this never ending glass. And the other guys didn't drink at all. And they said, no, we're not drinking. So that kind of tripled the effects for me. Right. And I was like the test monkey who, the, who they'd put alcohol in front of. And I mean, I'm a, I'm a lightweight at the best of times, especially back then. I didn't really drink at all. Um, and so, yeah, there were, there were a few rough nights in, uh, in Rapongi for sure <laughs> uh, but I, I feel like that kind of that brought me closer I, I yeah think, from from very loose memory 
<laughs> Very cool, man. Um, I want to also ask you about your experience of uh, working with Shinsuke Nakamura in 2014. Yeah, that was in Adelaide for us Rampage. Um, yep. So Shinsuke was, at that point, he was top talent in New Japan. I think he'd just come off a of Wrestle Kingdom main event, probably yeah. only a couple of months afterwards. Uh, and uh, Jag said that he wanted to bring him over. And I don't think any of us believed it. He'd been saying it for a few months. I don't, did not believe it one bit until he, he said, oh, Shinsuke's coming over next show and you're wrestling him. And oh, then man, you're going to tag with him the next night, uh, which was pretty surreal. Um, and he... I would probably say if, if I looked at all the international wrestlers that I have wrestled, Shinsuke would be, would be top three for sure. Um, his, like his just understanding of pro wrestling was, it, it's very hard to explain without being a professional wrestler and, and kind of having a lot of experience in the game, but he was unbelievable. Just sometimes you wrestle people and you go, all right, this, this guy's on another level. Like, you feel you almost feel just super inadequate wrestling them. They they bring you up to their level, so you feel amazing out there, and your wrestling feels amazing. But the ment like the mental game when you're wrestling, you're like, how is this guy coming up with this this stuff? And how is he just so aware of everything? Um, so yeah, Shinsuke was amazing and and just an awesome dude, great dude. I um I got to see him when when I went over to the Cruiserweight Classic. I think it was only just after he'd been signed. He'd only been there for a few months, I think. Um, so that was really cool to catch up with them again, really randomly and impromptu at the um, at the performance center. But yeah, Shinsuke's the man. Cool, bro. Yeah. Um, and my last question before I throw it back over to Jack, uh, moving forward again to 2015, EPW Evolution. You win your first EPW Championship over Alex Kingston. Um, I'm a, I know I was there to see it live. I don't know if you were there, Jack. I uh, don't think so. No, I was not. Um, but um, I just want to ask, you know, how did this all come about and, and how did you feel to be given this spot? You know, was this them being like, come on, come, come move over here or, or had you moved over <laughs> at this point? <laughs> no, 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 no. I didn't you had to keep till... flying back for every show. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was still traveling at that point. I didn't move over till um, start of 2017. Okay. That was a couple of years beforehand. Um, there, was a, there was a few year hiatus from, I think, 2000. 11 until about 2014 so there were three years where i wasn't really getting booked uh, much by epw yeah. and that's it's expensive to, to fly someone over um so you often see with interstate wrestlers they will if they'll either be brought over for a one shot a one-off kind of dream match scenario or, or yeah. they'll be brought over for a few months to run a storyline and that's kind of it yeah. uh just to kind of keep that novelty and, and keep it fresh um I was lucky to have a, a pretty decent few year run. And then I think by that point, it was kind of time to get other interstaters over and all the rest. So yeah, they brought me back in 2014. Uh, kind of everything built up to 2015 with the, the feud with Alex Kingston. So went through, uh, wrestled a bunch of top talent, did the Invitational, won that, and then cashed in to, to face Kingston. We had a few, uh, a few matches that I had, really looked back fondly on. I thought we, we worked really well together. Um, and I, unfortunately at the time, I think crowds were kind of, that they, started dipping from like that 2013 to 2016, but like three years. And it wasn't just in Perth, it was almost Australia wide. A lot of the independents had really started dipping crowd wise. 
And a lot of it came down to venue choices and a lack of venues and costs to fly people over and all this and that. Um, so, we, yeah, we had a series of matches that I don't think quite got the, not the praise, I'm not looking for praise, but just we didn't have large crowds. They, they weren't responded with amazingly as they would have been a few years earlier, I think, I believe, or, or even now. And um, I think a lot of, honestly, a lot of Alex Kingston's career uh, was like that. He was really peaking when there wasn't a big audience and things were on the rebuild. So, um, yeah, it was a great, it was a really good time uh, feuding with someone like him. Uh, he, Kingston's been someone I've been good friends with for a long time when he was just a young, we're the same age, but since he was a young boy in wrestling, I guess I'd been around a while by that point. Um, so, yeah, series of matches. I think it ended in the ladder match. Is that correct? The Evo? Yeah. Uh, Evolution? Ladder match? Yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, it took the title, uh, ran a bit of a yay for South Australia angle. Uh, <laughs> we had good, yeah. an awesome state of origin, uh, which yeah. was... Uh, Hartley Jackson, Jonah Rock, and myself against Marcus Pitt, Chris Weiss, and Alex Kingston, uh, which, yeah, one of my all-time favourite matches. It's a lot of fun. So, yeah, we ran this patriotic South Australian angle, and, and it all ended in uh, my mate, Marcus Pitt, taking the belt. Bloody Marcus. Um, disgusting. Who else but Marcus? <laughs> Over to you, Jack. Of course. Uh, so, do you have any particular rib stories you'd like to share? All disclosure. Rib stories. Oh, man. Even once you just witnessed or something, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Um, The, one of the, oh man, there's a lot of that. When I was 19 and first went to America, that that year, I have enough stories to write a a book based on that year. That was, um, I saw some things for sure. so I was staying with Bobby Marshall and Azazel at the time at the, what was called the NWA house, which is where all the NWA wrestlers would stay for periods of time. So we were there for a few months training together and living together and all the rest. And you tend to go a bit crazy, uh, not just being that age and immature, but kind of just wrestling all day. And you couldn't really go anywhere else. We didn't have a car. San Bernardino is a pretty, uh, there's not a whole lot there really. So kind of just training, wrestling and, watching TV and figuring out ways to mess with each other. So um, there were a lot of ribs. I remember air beds. So like 50 bucks, which back then $50 was a lot of money. (laughs) That was like my life savings was this air bed and the rest, I was just relying (laughs) on payments from matches, which will probably (laughs) never come. Um, So we got our air beds and then I think a couple nights in got back from, from the gym. And there was a massive like butcher's knife in my airbed oh, with a note fuck. from from Bobby Marshall. So he um, <laughs> he destroyed my airbed. Uh, from there, what else happened from there? <laughs> so fucking mean. There was a there was a lot of uh, taking full bags of luggage and uh, launching them out of balconies, putting them into toilets. Uh, at one point, we we got a BB gun for some reason. And uh, we would just shoot each other with BB guns all day. Uh, one of our, the guy who, who kind of rented the house out for us, who was a manager in, in the LA scene at the time, he was um, an older, not old, but he was, I guess he was like in his 40s at the time. Um, one time he was on the toilet. And so I was that bored that I decided to, to go under 
stick the BB gun under the toilet and just pepper him with, with bullets. <laughs> uh, we ended up smashing the TV with BBs. The curtains had all holes. It just, just stupid stuff, man. Just, <laughs> just dumb. Just dumb. That was a, that was a, there's so much more, but that was a crazy, crazy year. We ended up at a, at a wedding in Vegas after a show. So at one point they said to us, um, Hey, we're running a show in Vegas. You guys aren't on it, but you know, just come along for the experience. So we're like, yes, yeah, sweet. That sounds great. So we all drove down together in this, in this car. And then we had this room at this amazing casino in Vegas. I can't even remember which one it was. Um, it was like Excalibur or something. We had a room there all paid for. And it was this big, one of those big like Lucha crossover shows. So um, yeah, like Hio Del Santo and all these, all these stars on it. And uh, we went out the night before and it was a very big, long night. All of us expecting not to wrestle, rookie mistake. Uh, I think we got home at 8am and uh, keeping in mind, I'm only 19 at the time. 10am, uh, we get a knock on the door saying that we're all booked on this show and there's 4,000 people there. And the show was at, one, I think, 1pm it started. So we had three hours to get ourselves ready on no sleep. And so we rock up, and we rock up to this show as Azel and myself are in a, in a Royal Rumble, Bobby Marshall's in a match. We have this big show, thousands of people. And then after the show, they say, oh, um, you guys have an invite to a wedding. Like, what the hell's going what? on? They're like, yeah, you'll get picked up in a minute. You've got an invite to a wedding. So we ended up getting in this limousine. In the limousine, Daniel Bryan, Colt Cabana, Adam Pearce, and then us three idiot Australians. We drive off to this, this little mini chapel in Vegas and a fan is getting married and we are the only people there. And he's getting married by an Elvis impersonator. And that um. was, that. <laughs> so a day that started off as us just thinking we were going to sleep in, go watch a cool wrestling show, ended up wrestling in front of 4,000 and, and watching a fan get married. By Elvis. I would love for someone to ask uh, Daniel Bryan about his story today. <laughs> I've still got photos. <laughs> and if he likes, and for him to give his recollection of it, because that is just the most incredible <laughs> and most random. What a, what a random turn of events in one day. I'm sure, I'm sure he would remember. It was a pretty, yeah, um, pretty cool night. There was no food and no catering, I don't believe. Oh, we all that's... had to eat peanuts. We all shared peanuts, but uh, still worth it. Definitely. Yeah, that's, a, that's a day and a half I've ever heard one. Um, again, keeping with full disclosure, do you have any training horror stories? Uh, you've got to, have a, got to have a couple, surely. Training horror stories? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've definitely seen my fair share of injuries, uh, which were pretty oh. disgusting. Um, in fact, I think it was, it would have been last year. I think there were two if not three occasions last year and I used to run training with Alex Kingston on Wednesdays uh, that his shoulder dislocated at training and not just like popped out and popped back in but like fully dislocated uh, I've called the ambulance many times in, in 2019 wow. for that man so um, and I, I'm, I'm not one who can deal with medical issues at all like, I can't watch medical TV shows I can't <laughs> I cannot yeah. deal with injuries, especially bone breaks and stuff like that. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, yeah, that, that was pretty bad. Early on in my career, uh, probably my first year in, uh, there was one of the guys, TJ Rush, 
it was actually the exact scenario. I don't know if you saw NXT with um, uh, just happened last week. Uh, the British fella, he he caught a oh. dive and his ankle snapped the other way. Oh shit! I didn't even know. I need to have a look at this. He, yeah, no he, he's like, I think he tore tore off his knee and ankle. Real, real brutal injury. Basically, just on the outside catching a a plancher, uh, wrong angle, ankle twist complete 180 almost um the exact same injury happened on one of my first shows in adelaide and uh i was right there like right next to it and yeah he caught the dive started screaming looked at his leg his ankles 180 degrees the other way and then um his opponent jason cooper one of my, my great friends who can be a little bit reckless and airhead at the best of times <laughs> grabs him by that ankle and drags him back into the ring oh, no. <laughs> Um, that was definitely the most gruesome that I've seen. But yeah, there's unfortunately a lot of a lot of injuries in pro wrestling. Go figure. Yeah. Oh man, so many, so many. <laughs> <laughs> um, again, uh, speaking for more trainees, do you have any tips for young people uh, considering getting into wrestling? Uh, yeah, for a lot of tips, a lot of tips. Um, th- particularly people who are just getting into it, it there's going to be more frustrating days than not. And yep. You, I actually today I put up a, a little thing on my on my Facebook and Twitter. Um, it's a quote that has resonated with me a lot over the last few years. And sometimes you're the hammer, sometimes you're the nail, and you've really got to get used to being the nail, particularly as you're first coming in. Um, you're going to be hurt. You're going to be beaten up. Uh, you're going to see people who are more experienced than you, the same experience, even less experienced, do better than you, or get booked more than you. Um, nothing is fair in wrestling and it's, it's a, it's a subjective industry where talent doesn't necessarily decide how successful you are. Um, if you're looking at bookings as a, a measure of success. So you've really got to be prepared to not always be the hammer. Sometimes you just have to kind of persist and really consistency and, and persisting through those times when you just don't feel motivated or you, you're feeling like giving it up. That's what determines who makes it or doesn't it. It's been des- described to me as almost like a, an endurance race. Sometimes it's just whoever sticks around the longest and doesn't give up is the one that eventually gets the prize. So, um, yeah, be consistent, stick with it, be respectful and just train hard and um, enjoy the journey. Like, enjoy the learning. That's, that's the big thing. Enjoy. enjoy. And I, I always, that, for me, that was always the big thing. I didn't care about getting on shows. I just wanted to learn stuff. Like, I wanted yeah. to learn how to do cool moves. I wanted to learn how to do all this, all this stuff I'd seen on the independence and stuff. And um, so that's what kept me in it. Every training was like, sweet. I just learned how to do this sweet submission. I learned how to do this. Um, but I think for a lot of people, they don't care about that. They want the glory. And unfortunately, yeah. that's, that's, like a, that's a one-way ticket to burnout. You're never going to end up in a good way. So yeah, just enjoy the process and have fun. Well, I feel like just if you're passionate and you love wrestling so much, I mean, that's the whole reason anyone is getting into it in the first place. Uh, the, the fame and fortune shouldn't even be a thing of it. Like even in, even in the back of your mind about it. Um, that's, that's just my perspective. I mean, I see a lot of people getting into a lot of industries, whether it's a hobby or something that realistically you could actually make into a career. Uh, so many people going into those things expecting, Hey, I'm going to get signed to the WWE in the first year because I'm good at everything I do. And I feel like wrestling doesn't work like that. So it's a, Really, really valuable point, I feel, for a lot of people to take on board when getting into wrestling. Um, 
a little sidebar as well. Uh, being on the hit TV show, Deal or No Deal, I had no idea about this until <laughs> I was doing our research. It's, it's uh, on YouTube, bro. I watched it like a few months ago. Loved it. Uh, we're going to need the complete story about this one. Um, it's incredible. Uh, yeah, Deal or No Deal. It was like 2012, I think. Um, I actually did The Chase last year. That probably... Oh, that, 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 that has a better story. Um, but uh, no, Deal or No Deal was just me being a young idiot and wanting to just do something new um my friend of mine uh his dad lived in melbourne and that's where the, the auditions were and that's where the tapings were and he said hey i'm going to melbourne tomorrow um to stay with my dad for a few days and there's a deal or no deal audition do you want to go i was <laughs> like hell yeah so i i uh i checked if there were any wrestling shows on and the mcw were running a show so i was like all right sweet that'll you know that'll help offset the cost and flew myself over, uh, decked myself out in my, in my full merch. And uh, you did these auditions. In, there were just thousands of people at Eddie Had Stadium, I think. Yeah. And, uh, and, mo- and like most of them are pretty, pretty old, like el- elderly people, big fans of Deal or No Deal. And the audition, can, it, was, it just consisted of, hey, you've got 15 seconds. Tell us why you should be on Deal or No Deal. Um, or, or tell us what you you spend the money on, or whatever. And <laughs> like, so it's basically just promos. And we watched everyone go through. Oh, I'm gonna paint my fence. I'm gonna <laughs> buy a new car. Like, you know, generic answers. And I'd been to enough. I'd been to enough like tryouts and things like that to know, kind of like, or not just tryouts, but I'd, I'd, we'd had enough media publicity in the recent years to kind of know what those types of media people are looking for. So yeah. I just basically cut a macho man promo and uh, a few months later they said, Hey, you know, you're in, you're, you'll be in the crowd. No promises if you'll be on the actual show itself. Um, so again, it was like, hell yeah, I'll do that. Uh, so flew over, went, I think it was like a red eye to Melbourne. So no sleep, went straight to the studio for like 7am you had to get there um had to sit through five episodes where they didn't choose our like this different block they didn't choose our block and they said not every block gets chosen but you have to sit through six episodes so we sat through five they didn't feed us i think they gave us an apple they didn't feed us i hadn't eaten in like 24 hours hadn't slept and then we get to the final taping and they announce our block they announce me as the person from our block to go up and uh, then I threw away a lot of money. That, that, <laughs> Man, that was it's it. Tragic. It's really that was um, yeah. And I hadn't even watched Deal or No Deal to that point. Honestly, I'd never seen the show in my life. Oh. So um, you, you, on the YouTube, you probably see a lot of comments just uh, ripping into my strategy. But there was no strategy except for we wanted more than twenty thousand dollars. That's the only thing we said. We said we we need at least twenty thousand dollars. So I got to nineteen thousand. I said one more, and then blew it all. Oh no! Oh, fuck man. But, um, yeah, game show is not for me, unfortunately. I went on a, like a little, a little Jack. I went a little like Damien Slater on game shows uh, marathon not long ago and watched <laughs> one after another. Um, but hey, tell us about the chase then. Like he said, this, there's a better story with that one. Yeah. Uh, so the chase actually involves a bit of skill. You actually have to know things, yeah. which is unfortunate because I, I didn't know things. Um, so same kind of thing applied. I tend to apply for everything because I'm an idiot again. Um, 
I don't know, just want to do different things and have a cool story to tell. So I tend to apply for most most shows like that and reality shows and all the rest. And uh, they called back and said, um, two weeks, you have to get to Melbourne. And fortunately, I was already wrestling in, I think I was already wrestling in Melbourne that weekend. I had like a big wrestling weekend. Uh, I had like two shows, one in Melbourne, two in Newcastle. I had a whole bunch of training seminars. So like packed weekend as it is but the hours of taping fell perfectly in within them all. So right. yeah, flew, um, they, they run a, a quiz with you over the phone. Um, and basically I did their over the phone quiz. Uh, I, I won't talk much about the legitimacy of my, uh, my answers. Um, <laughs> I did the allegedly, same allegedly there could have been other people in the room or not, who knows either way. Um, but I must've done well on, on the quiz. I or someone else answered. Um, so yeah, brought me over and uh, same thing. I just, I guessed every, pretty much every single question was really? a complete guess. And I think my poker face was so strong because <laughs> people afterwards were like, man, I didn't realize how much general knowledge you had. I didn't, I didn't No, I, I honestly guessed practically every little thing that came, came up. So uh, yeah, we, we won, which was insane because no one ever wins that game. Yeah. Uh, especially against, I think we were against the Beast and he's got a pretty high success rate as well. He never really loses. Um, so yeah, very fortunate to have a, a very clever, intelligent team with me and to completely fluke answering most of the questions. So that, that was a good, good time. Yeah, cool, man. I remember when I watched Deal or No Deal and they, he asked you who your favorite wrestlers were and you, your name dropped Dennis Stamp and I believe I spat my coke out. As, uh, as you said it, um, <laughs> did not see that nothing, one coming. <laughs> nothing wrong with that. Beyond the mat fan since 98. So. <laughs> That's, uh, that, yeah, again, young and stupid. I, I, all, all I was caring about in that moment was any opportunity to, to drop an inside joke to, uh, to pop the boys, as they say. Um, so uh, the next question on the list was, getting to the Cruiserweight Classic, uh, working with Tajiri, I want to know how the opportunity came about and, and, and tell me about that whole experience from start to end. Uh, so we ran a, we ran, WWE ran a tryout in Melbourne in 2014 and it was the first proper official big formal tryout they'd ever done in Australia. So they, they'd done little like spot eight person tryouts before a taping or before a, you know, a live show that were very small and you kind of didn't know what to expect. This was the first time they had one of the full-on tryouts that you, you probably would have seen on YouTube since. They run them all around the world constantly. So I, um, at the time, I, obviously I was training with Hartley Jackson. He had built a bit of a connection. So he was asked to put some names in the hat. Uh, I was also asked by uh, Tanil Dashwood. She was an old friend from the indie scene. She was a Melbourne wrestler. I wrestled on the same shows as them multiple times. Um, and she had contacted me pretty much at the exact same time and said, hey, do you want to do a tryout? So they both put my name in, got contacted. Um, funny story about that. They actually uh, contacted basically everyone I knew uh, by email. So they'd emailed everyone and said, Hey, tryout coming up. So, you know, people talk. So I'm getting messages every day from my friends. Hey man, have you got an email? I just got an email. I'm doing this tryout in Melbourne. And I was the only one that did not get any communication oh, whatsoever. 
So, you know, we're kind of compiling our own list. Oh, here's the 25 people we know who have been confirmed and I'm the only one who has not been communicated with for two or three weeks. Right. So at that point I thought, There's, I'm, that's it. I'm not, they're not interested and it's not going to happen. And then uh, I woke up at 1am, my phone's buzzing. I look on it and the area code says Stanford, Connecticut. Oh, no way. <laughs> um, that's surreal. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm half asleep. I'm thinking this has been like straight up calling me like, we're going to bypass the tryouts, kid. Like you're straight in, you're straight in, buddy. Um, so I answer the phone and no, like nothing comes out. I was so nervous and scared and shaking. And I'm like pacing up and down my, my like up and down my room and just, uh, and they're like, okay, this is uh, so-and-so from WWE. We're running a tryout coming up. Uh, you know, we'd love to have you down there. Yada, yada, yada. And after like a minute of like confirming the details and confirming that I was all good to go, and they're like, they, the last thing they said was, um, just, just checking, this is Mike Peterson, right? And I'm like, you, oh, they got no. the wrong number. They called the wrong person. Oh, and no. I was like, you, to go from that high, like that yeah. kind of high to the low oh, that I God. experienced. Um, fortunately, the next day an email showed up and I got invited. But uh, okay. that was a pretty rough start to the, uh, the proceedings. But yeah, we had a we had a tryout in Melbourne, and there was thirty eight of us in the end, and it was the tryout that the Iconics got signed from. Wow, cool! Uh, there were a lot of other people at the tryout who eventually did go on to get signed to NXT and NXT UK, but at the time, just those two girls. So yeah, we ran the tryout at Rod Laver Arena, uh, two day tryout, similar to what they run at the Performance Center. Difference being, we don't have eight seven rings or eight rings, so it wasn't as intensive, but pretty full on and just two days of conditioning basically. And uh, it was, I, I felt that I did well. Like all the wrestle rampage guys and, and all the guys who had come from pretty good places obviously stood out because it was all fundamentals, very basic. And, and we were known for our conditioning and our basics. So that was cool, but there was no real massive opportunity to stand out or to look any different from the next person because all we were doing is forward rolls and back rolls and running upstairs and all the rest. So they ran a, a bunch of matches at the end, just like empty arena training matches. And they called out all these names and they didn't call my name out. And uh, I, I was actually pretty, pretty stoked with that because they said, uh, all of you Adelaide guys, we're going to come and watch you in two days at Wrestle Rampage show. So they actually, um, which was kind of unheard of back then. So Bill DeMott and Canyon Seaman. DeMott was the trainer. Canyon was the head talent scout, still is. Uh, they said they were going to fly themselves to Wrestle Rampage on the Sunday for our show. So we didn't have to do the training matches with the empty arena and the awkward lack of crowd and all the rest, yeah. which was fantastic. So they um, ended up coming to, to Adelaide. Uh, I was lucky enough to wrestle Jonah Rock in the main event. So that, like, that's a... If, if, if you're going to wrestle anyone in your tryout match, that's who you want to wrestle. Yeah. Um, so we had, we, I think we brought about 50 friends each. So we had like dueling chants and a packed crowd just going mental for this main event. And it was, it was a pretty good match, but um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of it was the fact that our friends and family filled the crowd. And I think that's what impressed them the most. I think they kind of got the, uh, the vibe that you know oh these two must be good like look look how they're getting this crowd rocking so yeah 
but hey, that's the game. That's it. That is what it is. So uh, yeah, after that, they uh, they had the feedback, um, came backstage, and were congratulating us and um, said that they loved the main event and, and all this stuff. And so everyone's kind of getting around us, like, yeah, you two guys are signed. Like, yeah, man, you guys are in. Um, still, but still didn't believe it at all. I don't think either of us did because it's wrestling. And the amount of times you get told that, hey, we want to sign you, and then you just stop hearing from that person, it's happened too many times to count. So you kind of don't expect anything until you're actually on the plane or the visa comes in. Um, so we waited weeks and weeks and weeks, and everyone kind of got an email saying yes or no or whatever. Uh, and, and so we all kind of got the no sorry email but um still pretty positive that they they had great feedback for us and said hey stay in touch keep in touch you never know what will happen down the line uh keep sending us stuff you know all, all the usual stuff uh i did so i did that i just anytime i'd have a new match i'd send it straight to them uh anytime i did a promo i'd send it to them like i just kept in contact and and they were great i I can't say enough enough good things about the way they communicated with us they'd always respond um even to this day you know anytime you have something to ask or say or or send to them like they'll they'll write straight back um and we've built a pretty good relationship which has obviously led to a lot of a lot of our talent going over there uh so it was probably a year and a half later that i said i think that that was that was 2014 so this would have been end of 2015 and I said I'm just sick of waiting I was like 27 at the time I think and I just said I'm I need to go over there and just put myself in front of them because you always hear you know don't don't wait for them to come to you you have to go to them yeah that's just that's just a general life thing you know like if if the doors open knock it down and I said I'm, I'm sick of the like oh cool yep nice match nothing at the moment maybe in the future got sick of hearing that I said so I emailed and said hey I'm, I want to do a try at the performance center. I want to do the full three day deal. I want to be seen by all the coaches, kind of like a last ditch effort. And they said, yeah, absolutely. Like come over, we'll get you in the next one. No problem. And uh, it unfortunately ended up being the same weekend that I was already in Myanmar for a tour. Um, but Marcus Pitt got to do the performance center tryout as what well, on that weekend. Um, but they said, look, we really, we really want to give you this opportunity. So instead of waiting for the next tryout, come to the Arnold Classic Festival in Ohio and you can do a tryout there. Oh, and um, they said, look, it's not much of a tryout, but um, it'll be good for you. It'll pay off, whatever, whatever. And I said, well, I can't really, I can't say no to an opportunity. Like, I want to do a performance at a tryout, but if they're telling me to come down, I'll go down. And uh, so I've, put myself in thousands of dollars of debt, spent the money to fly to Columbus, uh, had no idea what was there or whatever, and uh, showed up for the Arnold Classic. Uh, I, I just started a teaching job as well, which took years and years to get. So I was, I was putting a lot on the line. Like I yeah. just got a job and now I had to travel for a week to America. And I don't even think they knew I was a wrestler. They probably would have been thinking like, what is this idiot on about? So, yeah, put myself in debt, borrowed money, all this stuff, went down there. And the tryout wasn't, like they said, it wasn't really much of a tryout. But um, that's when they clued me in and they said, hey, uh, we, we've got this thing coming up. We can't tell you what it is. We can't tell you anything. Uh, are you under 205 pounds? I was like, yes. Uh, 
has never been over that way, uh, which they didn't believe me at all. Um, but they said, all right, we trust you. If you, if you claim that you're under that weight, sure. Uh, but we can't tell you what it is. Right. So all I know is that I'm doing something in June and they couldn't tell me what it is. And if I'm reading all the dirt sheets and they're talking about this cruiserweight series or this global cruiserweight deal. Like we're thinking maybe it's a reality show, like tough enough. And then, um, yeah, like pretty much kind of found out when everyone else found out. It was, it was on my birthday in June and I... <laughs> And, and it was like 5am and I've got 300 notifications and um, yeah, found out that I was in this big tournament and that was kind of, that was kind of it. They brought me over um, a week at the performance center to, to train and use their facilities and use their coaches. And um, yeah, they lined us all up on, I think the second day and, and said, Hey, you know, you're wrestling Tajiri, which is pretty mental. Yeah. You, you, in your head, Same. you're going through the lineup and going like, oh, who am I going to end up with? And like in my head, I'm like, you know, please, TJ, please, TJ. You're like, <laughs> I'll give anything to wrestle TJ. Or, or, and I'm just thinking, I don't know how far I'm going to go. They didn't tell me if I was going to the finals, if I was eliminated first round. They said, they did say, don't get your hopes up, but you might go through a few rounds. But, you know, see what happens. And... It sounds bad, but in my head, I'm just thinking, I wasn't thinking don't be Tajiri, but I'm thinking if I get Tajiri or like a Brian Kendrick, like an established uh, WWE guy, I thought I'm, I'm going to get squashed in a minute. I'm going to go home quickly, which is, is fine. Like I'll do anything, no problem. Um, but I kind of thought like, you know, please give me a bit of time to show what I can do. Like, please, that's all I... That's all I want. I don't care who I wrestle. I yeah. just want a bit of time. So they said you were Tajiri and it was kind of like, at first it was like, all right, okay, okay. Here, here comes the next part. And they said, you've got 10 minutes. And that was, that, that, that actually, we ended up, I think we only went maybe five, five minutes, five and a half to six. Um, and then there's all entrances and all the rest. So we actually went under time, but we, they ended up giving us close to the top in terms of match time for the first round. So I think we got like the third highest. So immediately it was like just big turnaround. I was like, I get to wrestle an absolute legend of pro wrestling and they're giving us time. Um, so that, yeah, that was amazing. And Tajiri was uh, very similar to, to Shinsuke. Just incredible. Just so knowledgeable. So talented. Like for a guy who'd been around for so many years and was kind of getting on in age, I think he was, 50 at the time or close to maybe 49 right, um man he could go he was unbelievable and uh in hindsight uh, i'm i'm super glad that i got paired up with tajiri and uh i had nothing to worry about like everything was really cool and and he was very gracious he just wanted to make me look good that was that was it uh very very selfless and um yeah that was uh it was in, it was a definitely a unique experience wrestling for a studio crowd where yeah. you're told to to work the hard camera and there's only ten people there and then you can hear behind you five hundred people and you kind of you know your your instinct as an independent wrestler is to turn around and and work those people but um, it was a unique experience and uh, yeah unfortunate that that was the only experience I didn't get to do any any more after that um, but 
an amazing, an amazing time. And uh, yeah, I can't say enough about the way they treated me and who getting thrusted to jury was awesome. Um, yeah. yeah, man, it's an incredible story. And uh, it, it's been like nearly well, mate, four years or so since then. Um, what was their feedback to you? And is there still a dream for you to try and em- end up back there? Um, I didn't really get any feedback. <laughs> I got I got positive feedback. Um, we had agents who basically help run the matches with you and you kind of clear things off with them and make sure it's all good. Um, and that was super, super cool to pretty much with all of us. They kind of just said, do whatever you do. They, they didn't really put many restrictions on us, um, which was, yeah, unbelievable. But the, uh, I had Cesaro as my agent and we had a bit of history wrestling in Perth, in Bunbury, in, oh, yeah. in NWA many years ago. Yeah. Um, which was, so it was awesome to have someone I was familiar with and knew pretty well. Um, and yeah, I had, I had great feedback uh, from, from everyone that I spoke to. So naturally you're kind of thinking like you start seeing a bunch of people getting signed from it. I think most, probably like 80%, if not more, got signed from the tournament so you're thinking like hey this could be something and and i'm staying in close communication and and i'm getting positive vibes back from them and i'm thinking like oh this could be cool and they're saying hey you know keep in touch there there might be more stuff in the future and and then it kind of just went to nothing and and then the the feedback kind of got less and less the the communication got less and less and it got to the point where okay it's been like a year now and now i'm not really hearing anything and um, that was kind of around the time that New Japan, I started doing some stuff with New Japan, which is really good timing because I started just getting a little bit down about the whole trying to get signed. Um, as, hard, as, as easy as it is for me to say, you know, don't get your hopes up. We, we know not to do that. You do end up getting your hopes up, especially when you're so close and, and you get such yeah. positive feedback. Um, so, yeah, the, the New Japan thing started happening. Um, we did a tryout with them. Uh, we did a tour with them. There was meant to be another tour, but unfortunately I was on my honeymoon and couldn't do that. Uh, and then around that time, WWE came back. This would have been end of last year. And they ran a little closed doors tryout thing in Melbourne at MCW. So we, um, uh, I think just before that, they ran the MCG show and they, they watched us uh-huh. at MCW. Mark fit myself. Uh, rest of Philippe in the tag match. So we got to kind of show ourselves there. And then a few months later, they, a, few, a year later, they came back and ran this tryout behind closed doors. And uh, I got to do that as well. And that was the first time I got um, a lot of feedback. And pretty much, I just got told that we think, we think, you're, we think you're good. We think you're professional. But um, there's, there's just so many people right now that we've signed who are very similar to you in the ring and in terms of your look and your, your character and, and this and that, um, which I completely understand. And that's a natural part of wrestling. It's fitting the right role at the right time. And what you're putting out might be perfect four years ago. It could be perfect in four years, but it might not be perfect now. So I've completely, you know, that's cool. That a lot of people were, were at the time when I got the news, I told a lot of friends and they're like, Oh, you know, you okay. How are you feeling? And I'm like, that's honestly, it was, it's a weight off my shoulders because I finally got, I got a bunch of feedback. So now I, I know that, okay, I can either change everything I do 
and maybe have another opportunity. Or I could just say, you know what, I'm, I love, I, I, I'm doing what I want to do. And if that's not what they want, then so be it. I'll keep doing what I want to do. And that's kind of where I sit now. And I've had a lot of time to think. I've got that kind of bad news, which was January this year. It was like just after New Year's. Um, I've had a lot of time to think and during COVID and, and not wrestling and all the rest. And um, the more I've thought about it, the more I've just thought, you know what, I I don't know if my dream is to be in the WWE anymore. I'd, I w- if, if I, honestly, for me, being signed as a full-time pro wrestler, WWE, New Japan, AEW, like that's amazing. That's, that's always been my end goal. But my dream to just be WWE, that's, I don't think that's the case. And right now, after thinking over the last, nine, 10 months, my passions have started to shift a lot more and I've, I've started to put a lot more effort and, and energy into coaching um, off, you know, online and offline. Um, I, I want to be able to wrestle the way I want. I want to be able to wrestle. Like I want to put more of the, the training I've done in jiu-jitsu and catch wrestling and, and submission wrestling and, and put that into my work because I always, I, I would always do a lot of uh, technically based, submission wrestling and stuff but I, I kind of held back because I thought okay I don't want to go too far with this because that's not what WWE are looking for everything I did even on the local scene was hey you know could this end up on a tape could this go to WWE will this push my name towards them and now finally at the point where I don't really care if I get signed or not um, I feel like this is giving me a lot more freedom to just do what I want to do and so that's that's an awesome thing I don't have any regrets at all I don't I've achieved countless amounts more than I ever thought I would. Um, so yeah, where I am right now, I just want to wrestle the way I want to wrestle. And if you like it, cool. If you don't like it, cool. And I want to keep coaching and I've got a lot of passion for, for that side of things. I'm going to keep growing what I'm doing with world beta wrestling online and um, just loving just being normal and not focusing on this one goal that I did for so long for so many years that was all everything was for this goal and now I'm just doing things I enjoy it's awesome man honestly I I love it (laughs) that's cool bro Um, thank you for the story Um, the next story though is another big moment in your career TJ Perkins hell or high water 2019 Um, Mm -hmm. tremendous tremendous stuff how did this all come about? Uh, you must have been absolutely thrilled that you, you finally got to wrestle him. Yeah, yeah. I, like I trained with him back in, in 07 and 09. And um, his, his style is exactly what I always loved in pro wrestling. Um, and a lot of my influences were not just submission style, but, you know, TJ is a very hybrid wrestler, puts in a bit of lucha, um, he can he can do Japanese style. He he does a bit of submission stuff, and he's very smooth and fluid. And and everything about his game is what I always loved. So when I got to train under him, that was just mind blowing to be actually shown and taught the style that I always wanted to learn that I never really got shown um, because there just wasn't as much education in in Australia. So he was the first guy to pull me aside, and, and we trained one on one in America for for months and months. It would just be me and him for hours. Just trading like he would just show me all these new cool submission sequences and counters and stuff so he had a massive influence on my game uh even when i came back to australia we never got to wrestle though we um 
we both did the Big Day Out Tour in 2013, which was run by Lucha Vavoom. So we were both in head-to-toe in Lucha gear and doing these Lucha yeah. matches. And so I got to wrestle a bit there, but never as Damien said as TJ Perkins doing the right. style that we want. So when they spoke about bringing TJ over for a match, uh, I believe he, he did a match or two in Sydney. So he was going to do a bit of an Aussie tour thing. Um, and EPW said, hey, we're going to jump on board. Straight away, I said, you, you, have to, you have to book me with him. And I'm not one who normally stands up and says, hey, I, I want this match. Like, you know, book me against him if you think it works. If not, cool. Um, he, this was the first time that I said, you have to book me with TJ. And I knew it was a natural story coming off of him winning the Cruiserweight Classic, me going home in the first round, and just our history is always kind of being parallel. So natural story, perfect styles mix. Um, I've, yeah, the, the match itself was some of the most fun I've ever had in a wrestling ring. We, uh, we, had, may, we had maybe 10 minutes to put something together. Um, really? He, had, he, got, he, he was traveling. He got to the venue, had to do a meet and greet. And, uh, but in that situation, in any other situation, I probably would have been a bit nervous, a little bit anxious, like, oh, 10, you know, 10 minutes, big 20 minute match, like a lot of hype. Um, but knowing that it was TJ, I was just completely at ease because I knew that just going out there and just feeling it out, we would be fine and everything would connect. And, and it did. And of course, there's, there's little things you always look back on and go, oh, I wish this was better, wish this was better. But yeah, some of the, the most fun I've ever had in wrestling ring and, um, like a little bit of a cap on the career. Not that that's the end of the career, but for me, that was like a bit of a, like a perfect ending if, if yeah. there ever was one. Um, yeah. So yeah, loved it. Amazing. Cool, bro. Um, the next question I'd, I uh, have for you was because um, you've, you've won the belt. You've, you've been like a top guy in EPW for, for many years now. And um, I asked this to the Don as well uh when you get to a certain part of your career in a company like epw where you've done the tag thing you've you've won the title you've worked mm-hmm. with every top guy there what keeps you motivated and creatively inspired when you might get to that point like what would be next what, what are some other things that you'd like to accomplish even though you've accomplished the top goals that you have um in terms of in terms of your local scene or more specifically, EPW, that, that's a great question because that's, that's kind of where I find myself now. And um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a highly motivated, I wouldn't say motivated. I have a lot of discipline. I think that's a better word. Um, and I've, I've spoken about this a lot with my coaching. Like motivation is very temporary. Um, discipline is something that they can keep you in the game. And discipline is what kept, has kept me at the top of my game for so long. And I haven't, I've never had periods until now where I don't wrestle. Um, I've never had periods where I fell out of shape and was, and was out of shape and unfit. Like I've always felt like I had to do it, even if I was unmotivated. And I have found that um, like since the, since probably since the TJ match and even maybe before then, I found that my motivation for pro wrestling at, at this level has dropped off a lot. And it's been, it has been a struggle, especially during COVID, to, to bring it back. Mm. And, and a lot of people have said, oh, you know, that's, that's just COVID. Like, everyone feels the same. We're all, we're, we've all got no motivation because there's nothing to strive towards. Um, yes, we're running shows again. Uh, small members-only shows, that's what a lot of places are doing. But there's no big, like, 
big end goals. But I think even before then, I, I was struggling motivation-wise. So in terms of like what keeps me going, what do I look forward to? I, I always look forward to working with new faces, younger guys, um, which is why I, th- I think why I love coaching so much because I love working with, with people who are hungry and want to learn. So I love showing them things, showing them things I've learned and, and working with them. I get the best satisfaction out of that. But I mean, outside of that, for me, for me, it's just, honestly, it's just bringing technical wrestling and submission grappling, bringing that more into the, the spotlight because not a lot of people do it. Not a lot of people in Australia do it. Um, and it's, it kind of like it had a big mid 2000s boost during ring of honor and they would have a lot of technically based guys. And then it kind of went down a bit. Now it's starting to come back a bit more. And for me, that would be the best, greatest satisfaction for me is bringing that back in and getting that more appreciated. Um, and it's not the fans responsibility to appreciate it. It's our responsibility yeah. to, to uh, get that message across and communicate it physically in the right way so that it makes sense and people understand and love it. And um, through that uh, grappling, legitimate competition grappling, is something I've always loved. But again, going back to the, the WWE goal, I never did it consistently because I felt like if I do, if, if I keep doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu and tournaments and stuff like that, if I get injured and it happens a lot, then well now I can't lift weights, which means I can't be in amazing shape for WWE and, and, and Vince loves right. jacked wrestlers. And then <laughs> if I do that, well then I can't train. And then what if I'm what if I'm uh, you know what if I have to pull out of a booking? So there was always this fear that all these things I did outside of pro wrestling was going to affect my end goal of making it to the WWE. But now I'm in this spot where there's no more fear. So in the last few months. Um, I've kind of got back on that horse and I've, you know, I, tr- I trained four or five days a week, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I've, I've done more in terms of boxing and, and stuff like that. And this is stuff I've always loved. And I think will help my game so much. It'll add so much more legitimacy to the grappling side of things. And I don't have that fear now of getting injured or, you know, what if I can't lift weights and get jacked, bro? Like <laughs> yeah. that, that fear is completely gone. So I'm, I'm hoping that this adds an, an extra element to my game. It allows me to promote technical wrestling more in Australia. And that's, honestly, that's what I want. That's what I want. It's no, I, I, don't, I don't care about championship titles. I don't care about storylines. I don't care about feuds and rivalries. Tag team or singles, couldn't care less. I just, I, I want my style of wrestling to be appreciated. And that's, that's it. Yeah. Awesome. Cool, bro. Over to you, Jack. Yeah, so that's uh, that kind of links up to my next question. Uh, so who who is someone uh, that you do want to wrestle that you haven't yet? Um, can imagine there'd be a... Alex Shelley. <laughs> Alex that's Shelley, a man. that's a that's a good one. That's a good one. Um, yeah, I can imagine yeah. an absolute stack. Like there'd be a, probably a handful of amount of guys in EPW you haven't wrestled yet. Uh, yeah. yeah. Who are True. some of those guys that you would love to uh, sort of wrestle you haven't got to got around to wrestling yet? In terms of um, EPW local scene, oh, let's let's you know, let's go. Um, all right, let's go. Yeah, some EPW guys, and maybe some just dream matches like yeah. Alex yeah. Shelley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the first one I say because he's. <laughs> I've been saying this since 2005. Alex Shelley is my number. Alex Shelley and TJ Perkins were always my dream match. Those two. Yeah. Um, and uh, 
Shelley is someone who, who took time off and then came back in recent months. And it was a match that I was pretty convinced was actually going to happen. Um, some, some wheels started turning and then COVID hit. Yeah. And unfortunately, it hasn't. Uh, so he would be my number one. In terms of, uh, if we look at Australia, whole local scene, uh, specifically in terms of uh, interstate to start with, uh, yeah. I would love to wrestle Robbie Eagles again. I've only ever had one one singles match with him 10 years ago. And uh, I think we've both evolved well beyond where we used to be. So he, he would be top of my list Australia-wide. Um, I also put uh, a wrestler called Tommy Knight from Australia. He's, he's a Wrestle Rampage student. He's, he's probably only two, maybe three three years in in terms of when he made his debut but yeah. he's someone who an absolute beast but also has a mixed martial arts background has had uh, mma fights he's a, a blue belt brazilian jiu-jitsu so he can he can go like he can really really go super agile guy you know he's he kind of he was kind of touted as the next jonah rock in adelaide and, and jonah kind of passed the torch so yeah tommy knight would be would be top of my list for someone else um, locally, it's a tough one because I've wrestled most of the roster at some point. Yeah. Uh, Davis Storm, someone I haven't, I've only ever had one singles match with him oh. in Perth. And that was oh, really? over a decade ago. Oh, shit. Um, oh, really? Oh, shit. Yeah. 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 Uh, we've, we had a tag at Reawakening last year at the end of the year. But outside yeah. of that, I've very rarely been paired up with Storm and, um, I'm pretty confident of what we could do in the ring. He, as well, for me, is one of the most perfect hybrid wrestlers. He yeah, can put, man. He, he doesn't show it a lot, but he can, he can wrestle. He can grapple. Uh, as well as the intensity that he brings. And uh, I feel like a lot of the same thing, but he has this intensity. And whereas when I'm in the ring, I'm, I'm pretty cool and calm. Like, I'm, I'm pretty confident and chilled, like, Nothing really, it, it takes a lot to get to me, but whereas he is, is very highly strung, very intense, I feel like it would make for a really good dynamic uh, in terms of character and emotion and all the rest. Um, so he'd be, he'd be another. Uh, there's a wrestler who is, is quite fairly young in the business, uh, Junior Lee, who is someone who I've trained a lot with in EPW and has a similar mind for grappling that I do. So I've shown him a lot of my tricks, not all of them, obviously, but he would be someone who I think uh, we'd have a bit of a, a bit of a dark horse kind of uh, match that you probably wouldn't expect to be anything amazing, but I feel like we could put together something pretty special. Um, and Mikey Nichols, like I haven't, oh, yeah. again, I haven't wrestled Mikey in a singles match. Last time would have been when he first left Australia, uh, probably all the way back in like 2006, I think, or 2005. That was the last singles match I ever had with Mike. Oh, um, right. I was going to say, I, I can't remember a time where I saw you two work together. So, I mean, if you're talking about Dave, you're talking about Mikey, that's two years there that you can get, you know, one year out of each with a, a whole <laughs> multitude of matches. I, I'd be there for sure. You can have that's a five-match five, five series with David Storm. I'm there every seven. time with bells on, mate. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot. There's a lot of young talent coming up through through the ranks in in EPW. Um, a lot that I, I love testing the younger guys. I, I 
I love putting them to the test. Honestly, it's um, I think when I first started out, I, I got booked a lot with a lot more experienced talent who were a lot older than me, and that helped me massively. Um, so you know, doing the same for them and kind of bringing them up to my level would be a, a great thing. Um, in EPW, we've got uh, wrestlers like Del Cano, who's been killing it lately. Um, been around for a while, but is only now really starting to shine. And it, I think it's a lot of it's the effort that he's been putting in with his training. Um, yeah, dude's gotten shredded lately uh, during COVID. Yeah. While while others have uh, couched life and and lost all sense of conditioning, he, he's it's on amazing because I, I knew him when he was a teenager, and he certainly wasn't shredded back. A little fat so Del Cano. Yeah, I, I'm very <laughs> proud of good him. Shape, I'm man. Very 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 proud of him. Yeah, yeah, he's been he's um, doing well. He's been trying to uh, clip clip my ear and a couple of others for a while to get down to get down to the school to try and test ourselves out. And uh, I won't lie, man, it's still it's still kind of in the back of our minds. Um, you know, every time you guys have an open day, he'll always say, you know, it's a long shot. I know it's a long shot, but surely, surely this is the year. So, no, I'm he's not. Always, he's, he's, he's always he's so dedicated. Yeah, he's always going on and on about it. Like, he loves it. He's dedicated. He wants it, his friends to I, get I, in there as well. But, you know, I can't. <laughs> Maybe you can, Jack. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I, I really – I gravitate towards those type of people, man. Like, um, I understand people have different goals and ambitions in pro wrestling. But, uh, you know, the ones that really want to dig deep and, and work hard, they're the ones that I naturally gravitate towards because that's – that's how I felt growing up and that's how I still feel now. So, um, yeah, those, those, those couple that I named are definitely two that really work hard behind the scenes. Awesome. Man. You know, I want to bring up another thing about Del Cano. <laughs> I want to, I want to, I want to just take off the mask because he's got such a punchable face. He really does. <laughs> It'd be perfect. I'd agree with that. Yeah. If you're watching this, bro, at some point you got to take that mask off because then <laughs> Then we're gonna make some money. People are gonna to pay to see that noggin get get. He does, hey, he really does. He does. He really does. He does. He does. But he's, he's not a bad looking fella. Like you know, you'd expect yeah. some some pretty gruesome heads behind the mask. But uh, you know, he's not bad. Not bad, old Delcano. <laughs> yeah, no, he's not. He is not. Um, no, I've definitely. I'm super. I'm super proud to see him sort of go as far as he have. I'm, and I'm also like astonished. It's been six years since his debut match, and. Um, it's just fucking crazy, man, how far he's come. And the way he looks now compared to how when he started, like I always thought, like, and I'm not saying this because he's one of our very good friends. Like he's, I'm just, he's one of those people that I've seen just dramatic change because of his love for professional wrestling and his dedication to it. He's been able mm -hmm. to sort of um, transform himself, both physically, mentally and everything uh, above and beyond uh, from his mm -hmm. former self. So um, yeah, it's good I to think, see, uh, man. Yeah, he's got a bright, once we, once we go back to, you know, consistent shows, in our normal venues, um, he's one I would definitely look out for. Yeah, no, he's been awesome, man. Um, another thing I wanted to get to was uh, how has COVID nineteen sort of um, affected your year? I mean, it's it's been so hard to navigate. It's very hard to sort of work around. How has COVID nineteen affected um, your year? Obviously, you're usually very active. You, you know, you're probably very flat out mm. during the week and on the weekends. Uh, how has COVID nineteen changed everything for you? Um, hard to say because when it hit around, you know, February, March, that's kind of when a lot of the calendar starts getting booked out for me. Um, January is normally pretty quiet. February is pretty quiet. And it all starts to pick up around like April to November. 
Um, so I don't really know what would have happened if I would have got a ton of bookings. Um, yep. The year before last year, I pretty much had my busiest year yet in terms of interstate travel. Um, and, and on top of that, I got to run uh, coaching seminars in every state and territory outside of ACT. It was a super busy, productive awesome. year. Um, the only booking that unfortunately fizzled was with Pro Wrestling Darwin. I was supposed to have uh, a big, oh, right, yeah. kind of like a all the sale, sale of the century champions coming back for this final championship tournament. Uh, but unfortunately, oh. that got scrapped and cancelled. Uh, that was going to be in June. And the company has since folded. So, oh, no, really? Oh, that, fuck. Yeah, yeah. It, I think I remember seeing it on the news. Oh, yeah, I didn't that, know that. I mean, it's, it's run by Brad West, who yeah. you know from EPW. Um, yep. He he announced that he's coming back to Perth. So he obviously came oh, okay. from, from interstate. Um, whether the company runs under, under a different incarnation, uh, I, I don't really have any insider knowledge. It seems from their Facebook post as if they said there would be more wrestling in Darwin. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if some of their crew kind of take the reins uh, with the behind the scenes stuff. Um, but yeah, that, honestly, that was the only thing that, um, that got taken away because nothing had really been booked in yet. So it hasn't really affected me too much. Uh, we, only, we were only out of training for, I think, maybe 10, 8 to 10 weeks. And then we were back to it in some capacity. Uh, we've been training full-time ever since. The, the shows are only just starting to go back to member shows now. Uh, but again, as I was saying, just, just with the point I am in my, in my life, I know it, it, this has affected a lot of other wrestlers greatly because you know they're, they're at their peak and they had all these big opportunities coming up. But for me, the, the time off has been awesome. It's allowed me to really analyze yeah. what I want out of wrestling and it's, the, the more I've thought about it, the more I've realized that um, like I don't know if I have the same goals and dreams anymore that I once had. So, uh, yeah, COVID's awesome, man. I love it. <laughs> How good a virus is. <laughs> I, actually kind of, uh, I, I actually kind of felt the same way at some point because I was uh, not going to lie on sort of student benefits at uni, getting paid a full-time wage because obviously the ridiculous Scotty Morrison um, Centrelink uh, COVID shit, so... And I got to do nothing for that all that time because everything was kind of screwed up with online study. So I agree with you. It was fucking great. And I loved it. I was already doing nothing beforehand. So nothing affected me. Um, what's in store for the future of APW and Damien Slater? Oh man, we were, we were, we were picking up the momentum. We were definitely going up and up over the last year or two. So I, uh, I hope that once these restrictions fully ease, which uh, I believe, we're only about six days away from when the latest date was that they were going to remove all distancing. So it's October 23rd, 24th, right? 23rd, 24th. Yeah. Yeah. So we're only a few days away from that and haven't really heard anything. So if that goes ahead as originally planned, I wouldn't be surprised if it doesn't and get pushed back a, a fourth or fifth time. Um, I hope that we can continue with that momentum. Uh, I hope that wrestling fans are clamoring for some entertainment after so long away and, I hope we can kind of just step straight back into where we were because we had a lot of awesome things coming. The last show that we had in March, I believe, was uh, what a lot of people are saying was one of our best ever. Um, oh. And it was a, a big turning point for the company storyline-wise. And it was a big turning point to go into all these other amazing things. So, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to that when it happens. Uh, look, outside of that, I'm, I'm loving training. I'm loving coaching. 
Um, I'm still learning every day, which I love. And uh, yeah, I'm just going to keep doing my thing and hopefully uh, others are along for the ride and, and have the same kind of ambitions and, and dreams in pro wrestling. Oh yeah, man. I feel I that. I wanted to um, chime in. Uh, if things do get lifted in the next week or so, will there be a reawakening this year? Uh, I assume so. When, when, <laughs> when was the original date? Is it, was there an original date set? They normally put their calendar out. I'd have to check because it's been so long since I even looked at the calendar because it all became irrelevant. Um, but, I mean, hey, if, if it's only October, reawakening is usually when? Near the end of November? I don't see why not. I'm pretty, I sure, I even, not. I'm pretty sure even with the current restrictions and laws, it could still go ahead. I'm, maybe. I could probably be wrong. It, it can, but there would have to be um, capacity limits. So I yeah. believe the venue normally fits up to 500, 550. Um, but as I've seen with other, other sports and other um, forms of entertainment, I've been to a lot of like comedy shows and stuff recently. They've kind of all been half capacity. Yeah. Um, so financially, running a venue at half capacity is... Yeah. So um, I... Um, I'm saying that's probably why we haven't been back to gate one. Um, but I know they've been working hard behind the scenes. Like evolution was about to happen uh, in July when they originally were going to remove the restrictions. And that was fully booked for gate one. You might remember all the advertising and all the rest. And then yeah. uh, the restrictions unfortunately got pushed back. So yeah, man, everyone's keen to go as soon as we're allowed to. Yeah, man. We'll be there for sure. Um, Definitely. Yeah, and I don't, I don't really think you would really want to put reawakening on a member show, like in the, uh, in the, um, in the factory. <laughs> don't think you'd want Hopefully to go. No. You wouldn't want to do no. the WWE route on that one. No. no, I don't think we have the budget for the um for the performance center production. Sorry, the uh, the uh, what's it called now? Capital Thunder, Wrestling Center. The Thunderdome thing. What are they? Called? Yeah, the Thunderdome. Yeah, whatever they. Call. Know, it's, it's it's all ridiculous, man. Just we'd need wait. A, Wait we need the J- JB Hi-Fi hookup on TV screens, I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so one last thing before we um, obviously go to our last segment called Five Second Frenzy is uh, we just like you to just pl- plug all your things. Uh, where can we find you on social media? How can people keep up with you? Cool, man. Uh, generally, at Damien Slater on all forms of social media, except for Instagram where it's D-Slats because some jerk has my name, has my handle. <sighs> Uh, worldbeaterwrestling.com is my uh, my YouTube channel, which has weekly, every Thursday, weekly tutorials. I put out stuff. It's mostly for pro wrestlers or aspiring pro wrestlers, but I put out uh, grappling technique tutorials. I put out conditioning drills that you can do at home uh, or in a gym. I put out uh, just general tips and advice. So that's something I've been working hard on. I've got big plans to actually to increase that and branch out in the next few months and turn that into a, um, a bigger online coaching service for pro wrestlers. So yeah, worldbeaterwrestling.com. Give us a, a subscribe would be much appreciated and um, yeah, get on board. Oh yeah. Everyone, everyone subscribe. Over to you, Carl. Rightio. Uh, so this is the famous segment, five second frenzy, Damien. You have five seconds to answer each question. And as per usual, even if you break the five-second rule, it doesn't matter. You are a wrestler, so sometimes it does take longer than five seconds to answer something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So here we go. Favorite wrestler? Alex Shelley. Wow, that's an interesting answer. 
Um, I, I like him too. Uh, favorite opponent? TJ Perkins. Favorite match? TJ Perkins. Yeah, thought so. <laughs> favorite TV show? Uh, whoo, that's a tough one. I'd say Breaking Bad or South yeah, Park. Yeah, it's my favorite too. Yeah, we should hang out. We should be actual friends. And Peaky Blinders. Life. I'm going to add Peaky Blinders to the list. Peaky Blinders. Great okay. list. Great list. Very good. Very good. Uh, favorite film? Uh, Fight Club and Freddy Got Fingered. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your favorite food? Oh, man. Anything and a lot of it. Italian. Nice. Italian's great. What's your favorite place to eat? Uh, favorite place to eat? I'm a big fan of, of brunch places. That nice. sounds wanky, doesn't it? I'm a big it does, brunch but that's fan. Okay. <laughs> I'm a big brunch fan. There's a lot of good brunch spots around Perth. Um, I would say, uh, in, in terms of Perth, I would say favorite place, Ross and Nero's Pizza in Mayland. Fantastic Interesting. Pizza. Try I'm it. gonna check that out, definitely. Uh, well, I know you said earlier you're not a drinker, but it's in the list. Favorite alcoholic beverage? I've actually become quite a craft beer wanker. So, um, oh god, <laughs> uh, I'm I'm a, I'm a big uh, I'm a big crafty fan. So for me, it would be from uh, I'd probably say anything that comes out of either Other Side Brewery, Little Creatures is decent, uh, or No Women, No Women, No Women. I know the one. I know a lot of little first places. I'm just finding now. I'm from Adelaide. Right. Judge. I'm just kind of like I'm just kind of educating myself at the moment. Carl loves a good craft beer. No, love a good craft beer. Bit of a red fan too. Of, <laughs> that's, that's the Adelaide rubbing off of me. I like a bit of red. Bit of I red. Love red. Tipple of Shiraz. I love it. Very nice. I like Shiraz too. We were at uh, me and the partner were at a uh, rock pool last night, and we bought a seventy-five dollar bottle of French red. <laughs> Mister Fancy. If you talk about wanky. Um, <laughs> favorite female body part? The brain, because my wife is in the next room. We get that answer a lot, so that's okay. <laughs> that's a yeah, very common D- answer. Dave said the eyes. <laughs> oh, of course he did. <laughs> what did Don say? What did Don, did Don say? Ass? Don Don was very yeah. He's like titties are ass. He was straight to he's straight into straight, it. straight to the straight to the yeah. He's he's sick in the head. He is. Uh, and finally, Damien Slater, your favorite curse word. Favorite curse word? Oh, jeez. I'd have to see you next Tuesday. See, yeah, that's a great one. I'm a massive, very massive fan of that word. My wife hates me for that, but yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah, Carl, uh, you can close out the show. All right, I'll close out the show. Damien Slater, thank you so much for being here on the show with us. Once we wrap this up, we would like to ask you just a couple more off-screen questions. But really, thank you. want to thank you for your time. And uh, we want to say, you know, we're big fans of yours. And you should be extremely, extremely proud of what you've accomplished and, and the, the inspiration you've given younger people in the local scene and all that. And... You might not have made it as a full-time contracted WWE wrestler, but you got on the Cruiserweight Classic. You've done a lot, and we appreciate you. Thanks, guys. I definitely appreciate that. Thank you. All right. And that was the podcast here in conjunction with the WZWA Network. 
I am California Inferior alongside our good friend Damien Slater, and we will see you next time. Thank you. <laughs>